Hey everyone, welcome to the Mindfulistics. I'm Chucky G, along with my co-hosts, Aaron Frazier and Cheryl Knight. We've just joined the podcast about all things spiritual and supernatural. Hello, ladies. Hello, Chucky G. What's up? What's up? You know, stuff. You know. Cheryl and I are trying. Stuff, huh? Cheryl and I are trying to plan another another trip together oh. in the fall. So fingers crossed. We it's going to be our thing now. We're going to go to Sedona together together every year. It's going to be our thing, right, Cheryl? It's our thing. Yeah, it's our new. It's thing. our well, thing. It's our thing. Well, yep. I don't. I really have a thing. Well, I mean, I, I do investigations still, so I guess that's a thing. So yeah, that's a well, big thing. I mean, one of these days it would be great if you would like fly to Sedona and join us. That would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would yeah. be amazing. <laughs> I think we'd get in all, all right. of trouble. All right. Yes, we would. <laughs> we nah, I would be great. Okay. And <laughs> I'm a good cook, as y'all know. So she okay, is bad. Yes. Chuck, I believe you yes, want to introduce our guest, and we have a fun guest uh, that a lot of people have probably heard of. So I'm gonna turn it over to you, dude. All right. Thanks, ma'am. All right. Today, our guest is David Oman. He is the author of the new book, Ghosts of CeeLo Drive, The Afterlife of Sharon Tate and the Spirits of the Oman House. Also, besides that, I'm going to get into his bio, bio just a bit. Um, producer, creator, co-writer, a native of Los Angeles, California, and the son of a prominent real estate developer and builder. David Oman was a private investigator for 12 years and studied paranormal research. Oman started helping his father build a house on Silo Drive, and the real-life hauntings brought this story to life. David has produced a feature film, House at the End of the Drive, based on the Tate murders. So we're going to talk about all things creepy and paranormal today, which is, you know, right up my alley, by the way. So just want to welcome you, David, to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Wonderful introduction as well, if I do say so. Well, thank you, and you did, so I appreciate it. That's so, why we that's why he's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a keeper. That's really nice to know. All right, cool. So all right, so let's let's just get let's just start talking turkey here right away. So I I know a lot about your home. I know a lot about this this whole thing here. Um I've watched lots of YouTube stuff, I've seen the movie um or the documentary. So what I found fascinating just from the beginning was the fact that as you're building the building for your father and you, they're tearing down the other home. And it's yeah. like, it's like everything shifted from that home and just opened up and moved over to you because you're like, what, hundred, 200 feet from each other. Yeah, and pretty much. Why do you think, I mean, my, my curiosity is like, why do you think they just didn't dissipate or go somewhere else? Why do you think they just moved over to your, you know, your digs as we say? Well, to be honest with you, I think it's it's partially the fact that the um, old house was being demolished and being rebuilt, and the, the new structure basically wasn't anything like the original property. It was a total um, exaggeration, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And I think what it was is that the fact that I was here back when I was a kid in high school, we used to come up here to the Tate, you know, see the Tate house because we all read Helter Skelter, I have yeah, to admit. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is, this is literally less than a decade after the murders take, took place. We were mm -hmm. coming up here. And I remember the very, very, very first time we came up here, my friends were all starting to, let's drink, let's start partying. And I was like, 
I walked right up to the chain link fence, looked into the, I guess, into the property, but you couldn't see the house. Mm-hmm. You could only see the rock wall, the small rock wall that came out into the driveway that right. was famous from all the photos. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there and I bowed my head and I said, you know, even though I'm about to get, you know, party with my friends and get, you know, you know, partaking and enjoying myself, mm-hmm. I think I have to say a word in respect and honor of those that died here. You know, I read the story. I basically remember saying, I read the book. I think it's a terrible tragedy what happened to you all. And I want to pay my respects to you because this is hallowed ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's funny is, as I remember in 1978, that when we first were there, when I was 15, that there were newspapers, literally weathered, water-damaged newspapers that were sitting up against the chain-link fence at the mm-hmm. front drive, at the front of the driveway. There were just accumulated i don't mean one i don't mean two i mean at least a dozen or more and i like looked and i said what that's like what the somebody's not picking up the newspapers what's going on so it looked mm-hmm. vacant to my estimations um and mm-hmm. i remember saying look i'm really sorry for what happened to you all i just you know before i start partying and having beers with my friends i gotta show my respects to you all right and so it was yeah so so do you think that that was like because of what you did there leading up is it maybe that they became attached to you like an attachment kind of a thing no i think that they just recognized i was one of the few people that was there that was actually you know i mean obviously i was not one the only Mm -hmm. one there are other people that came up there but again it has to do with my pure the intentions that i was saying this in i wasn't a sharon tate fan i wasn't Mm -hmm. a charles manson devotee or fan or follower i was just some guy that said you know this is a terrible tragedy i'm so Mm -hmm. sorry for this and i was just you know i said god i read the book and it's just where i was coming from was so unique in a sense that i wasn't doing this it was just spontaneous and i think that that kind of like let them know that i was somebody of some respect and some degree of and measure of of, of of respect to them. Right. And a fierce right. respect, not with like, oh, Sharon, oh, Sharon, oh, Sharon, oh, Sharon. It was for all of them collectively just coming, just saying, look, I'm sorry. I really wish there was something I could have done, but it was impossible. There's nothing, you know, just the honesty and truth of it. And then, like I said, 20 years later in 1998, yeah. November, my dad calls me up and says, hey, David, get up. And it's like, Dad, it's Sunday morning. It's eight o'clock. What the, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Get up. Get it, you know, basically the next thing I know is, is I'm, you know, getting the information about a property, a piece of land that's up in Beverly Hills. It's for sale and it's a foreclosure and it's only $40,000. And, and it's like, I said to my dad, I said, dad, and these are the days before the internet. So right. he's, there's no Google. And he says, I found this on the, in the LA times classified section because my dad was a hound he would mm-hmm. look and search the classified section on sunday morning and sometimes he get this the night before classified section so he could read it and go through it and look for you know possible yeah. you know prospective purchases in the form mm-hmm. of real estate mm-hmm. and it was like i said dad says four zero k he goes yeah i said dad it's a freaking misprint I said either that or the lot is completely a vertical slope. 
I yeah. said, come on, Pops. I said, $40,000. I mean, this is only 24, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not, it wasn't like you're talking 50 years ago when, yes, you could have a piece of real estate in Beverly Hills for $40,000, believe it or not. Right. And it was up until like the late mid 70s, early 70s huh. before the, the market went nuts. Mm-hmm. But the idea was, is I said, Dad, he goes, shut up and just meet me up there. So he gives me the address. And in those days, you had to use a Thomas guide, a map guidebook. No Google Earth. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. No map. Yeah. That no map quest. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I find this street, and I'm not even thinking. I'm so detached about the Sharon Tate murders. I'm not thinking. And the, the name Cielo Drive doesn't resonate in my head. Like, oh, my God, you know, blah, blah, blah. Not a drop of that takes place. I drive up here with my two dogs and I parked my car. I got out of my car and I looked down the street and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm here again. Wow. I haven't been here in 20 years. And it was uh, like, because in high school we used to come up here, you know, but after high school, yeah. I lost track of how to get here, even though it's not that difficult when you think about it. I couldn't find it. So I'm up here. My dad drives up and he's driving his 1998 um, Firebird Trans Am. It's like, nice, nice. My dad's 80 (laughs) years old and he's like, like, it's like, dad, and he's pissing vinegar. He's just pissing vinegar all the way. You know, he didn't look 80. He looked like he was 60 years old. He's like, all right, what are we doing here? I said, dad, down the streets where the Sharon Tate murders took place. And he goes, I could give a rat's ass about that. We're here to look at this piece of property. And this is the lot. And I looked down. I said, oh, my God, that's that's it. And he goes, it's a foreclosure. I'm telling you, it's like 40 grand. We can buy it. It's a steal. Mm-hmm. So we did the research, bought the lot after we found out it was condemned as non-buildable by a transactional error in the paperwork at the city, at the building and safety department. Oh, wow. So we, we retroact, we, we fixed that issue. That was never an issue. It was just a transactional or clerical error where somebody wrote down private drive mm-hmm. instead of, and when it was private street instead of private drive. And oh. it was amazing. So that's what caused the problem that it was foreclosed upon years earlier. So, David, so, I, I yeah. want to ask you something about this. Do you believe in fate? Uh, I guess I'd have to, huh? <laughs> yeah. Do you believe that perhaps you were drawn there to be the caretaker of of what you have now? Yeah, I'll even go one step further. That what we call fate is actually what Shakespeare said years, you know, four hundred years ago, which is, we are all but actors upon the stage. We have our entrances and our exits. We've done this all before. In the yeah. sense that this is, we're just going through the motions that we think we have free will. Well, guess the, you know what? It's all been done before, and we're basically just going through the motions. So, because we, as as I've been listening to you tell me, uh, tell us this, um, and you talk about your high school self, that's pretty, um, pretty sensitive for a teenager who's about to go get ripped with his friends, right? Well, and, again, and, and, again, I've always been that way, though. I mean, I was sensitive yeah. to the fact that, yeah, I was going to smoke smoke a joint with my friends, but it wasn't like 
it was more important to to be there present in the moment at that location. Yeah. Just like when I when I was 13 and I went to Pearl Harbor and we went on to the excursion to the memorial, I felt a deep, sincere emotional connection saying, you know something? This is hollowed ground. This is where 1,100 men were blown to smithereens in most cases, you know, defending the country, not even knowing what was going on in some cases. And, you know, there's just, it's just, it's to me, it's natural is to be present and know that, that conscious is the word of the location that I'm in. And yeah, where sure, it I understand. is. I understand. I connect to places in a very similar way and, right. and, and feel that it's, I call it being able to feel the weight of history. Um, but that's what you're describing is that you can feel the weight of what happened there. I think is right. what I'm and hearing you say, and you have respect for that. And I think it's the most, it's more, it's more has to do with empath, being an empath, being empathic towards it. And yeah. since I love history in general, to me, I respect it. And I feel that we can learn from it if we don't make the same mistakes twice and repeat it by not paying attention to it. So, um, but I mean, I've gone to other places and felt the spirits and the presence of energies in them where it's like my friend said, how did you know that? I said, Oh, because I felt that energy was present and they were like communicating me in some way with a visual, in some cases, a visual image of the, of what took place in that location, or some cases just knowing, hearing things and going, wow, that's, wow, that's deep. That's, oh my boy, oh boy. So, I mean, that has a lot more to do with it than anything I've realized is just being empathic and sensitive to just, just being open to it and feeling that it's there present. Sure, Very it cool. makes a lot of sense to me. Hey, Cheryl. Yes, hello. There I know is. that you asked you asked ChatGPT for some questions. We'd like you to and ChatGPT to be able to ask your questions. All right. Well, <laughs> I, well, yes, I cheated. Okay, you I cheated. have. <laughs> I have already come through. Rely AI owns me. Okay, sorry. Mm -hmm. AI um, owns her. She's it's it's like her second husband is AI. It is. I joke around. <laughs> I'd get married to ChatGPT if I could. Okay. Um. So this one though is my own. Okay, I'm going to claim this one as my own. So. Out of all the years you've been living at the house, David, what happened? Okay, let me back up first. Let me back up. So when did the paranormal activity actually start? Was it immediate? Was it after a couple of years? And then after all of these years of living with it, how do you cope with the daily activity? All right. Uh, I'll have to be honest. The second I drove up here, and literally came up to the driveway. It just felt like home. And it almost feels like when I drove up and I looked at the lot, I'll back this up. When I was a kid, my dad was a builder. So he built houses and I was on the construction sites with him. And, you know, the, the, there are a number of houses that he built on that were similar properties where it was a downslope on a hillside. I remember one that he built up off of Doheny Drive off of Sunset Boulevard. That was in the hills. That was a downslope that he owned the property since like the 50s. And it was an extremely long frontage lot, meaning it had a long property. The property line ran along the street about 120 feet. And then it went down the hill about 45, 50 feet. But the slope on the side of the hill where the lot was, was pretty clear. It was even more severe than this house on steepness. 
And he built this house that it was a long, narrow type of house. I think it was only 25 feet wide, but it was 100 feet long. And it was a beautiful house. And it was like, he knew how to do that. So uh, being on these locations, my dream was always to build a house of my own because I was born in the house that my dad built right before I was born and literally born right into the house. And it was just one of those things that it was my dream to build my own house with my father's design. Oh, and that's it, cool. So when we got the lot, it was like, oh my God, this is it. I just, it was like, like you said, I, I, I kind of like felt I knew, I don't know how it just felt like, you know, just another, another, another move on the chessboard, so to speak, you know, or on the monopoly board, just another foot ahead, two steps ahead. It just felt like, yeah, this is right. This is where I'm going to end up building this house. And I didn't know anything about the spirits until we literally, I think it was February of 2000, I mean, of 1999 when my cat Arthur died and we had the property and it was still, you know, vacant. And we hadn't gotten all the permitting done to build it. We, my friend and I, my friend Sean and I came up here to bury Arthur on the side of the hill. And when we went, lowered ourselves down nine feet, maybe 15 feet down the slope, we dug the hole. And as we we're putting him in the ground when he was wrapped in a bunch of pairs of my old Levi's that I had sewn together to make a shroud, and we wrapped him in it, and we were lowering him like five feet into the earth. I said to my friend Sean, I said, I have this strange feeling like there are pallbearers around us and mourners here with us. Even though I can't see them, I feel the strangest sensation like, you know, this is, we're here to support you. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing but the, the hillside and the old rebar from the original construction wow. and the caissons from the original construction that was stopped years earlier on the property. And I just felt like I said, you know, that's, that was just a very comforting sensation. And I just said, wow. I said, and he said, I feel it as well. Wow. That's so immediately stuff is, you know, you're tuning into uh -huh. everything. Yeah. Um, They're welcoming then, me, so to speak. That's, that's amazing. And so then you have activity pretty much daily from what I understand. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, put it this way. I'm sure there's more stuff that happens around the house than I am completely cognitive and aware of, meaning, and here's why I can prove that out. I've got 25 cameras in the house, one in my garage, and four on the outside of the house, recording 24-7. Um, God, it's got to be about a year and a half ago now. It's on my YouTube channel. I woke up at about 5 in the morning, had to go to the bathroom, when I was going to the bathroom, I heard on the floor above me, which is the living room and dining room and kitchen area and the den, um, I heard sounds. And I was like, all right, I hear you. I, I can hear you guys, like footsteps and stuff, activity and voice. I just said, I don't give a rat's ass. I'm too tired to give a <laughs> shit. I'm going to bed. And I said, I'll deal with this in the four hours when I wake up or 9 or 10 o'clock, I get up. I go into my office, I rewind the footage, and I watch. And for one solid hour, there is there are sounds of objects, like boxes being knocked over, but there's nothing being moved. There's no <laughs> physical objects. There's voices talking. 
There's footsteps. There's shuffling around. Of, of, and there's nobody there. You've got the video cameras from all different angles. And I'm like, all right, let's check the other cameras in the house. And there's nothing going on in the other parts of the house, but you hear this upstairs and you go, wow, that's amazing. I don't know what the hell all that is, but it's <laughs> just just amazing. But you okay. have both residual and intelligent activity, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, there's plenty here going on that's, you know, that, you know, answers. So... How do you how do you deal with that every day, just on a personal level? Does it wear you down? Do you, is it no? Exciting? I don't. I don't do bother you... with it. I don't. Okay. Again, <laughs> again, from my experiences, um, ghosts are everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, ghosts are not limited to here. We just have to have more like a ghost flop house. <laughs> do you have a portal there? Do you think? Yeah, that might actually be what we've got there going mm-hmm. on here. So, so... there's things. So, I mean. I've been to tons of places and people didn't, you know, places I've never been before. And it's like first time visiting. And I say to my friend, all right, there's a guy here talking about this and this and this. And he's walking around here and they go, how do you know that? I said, I'm being told. I goes, oh, then you see him. It's like, yeah, I've heard. And then they tell me that they're confirming the information. So the idea that, you know, if they're everywhere and there's nothing you can do about them, because I am a firm believer that if spirits exist, there's nothing we can do to make them disappear. You can talk all you want till you're blue in the face, but that doesn't mean a hill of beans to a spirit that can hear your thoughts. <laughs> and what I mean is, is I've got a video shot. I think it's a couple of a year and a half ago now at about quarter to two in the morning, walking down the hallway from the laundry room, doing laundry. And I throw my hand up. And I'm thinking to myself, spirits, I got you covered. And upon that, I heard a knock, knock. And I stopped dead in my tracks and I looked straight ahead into the camera. I'm thinking, uh, (laughs) okay, it can't be a burglar. Because why would a burglar do knock, knock to give himself away? That's the opposite (laughs) of a burglar. I said, okay. (laughs) I said, oh, my God, it's a ghost. Then I started thinking, saying, I didn't say a GD thing. At all, I didn't. I said, "Ho, ho, ho, ho!" Wait a second. What did I right before the the knock, knock? I thought, "Ghosts, I've got you covered. Don't worry." And I threw my hand up. And that a point in which I realized, and I said it on verbally on the video. You'll watch the video from like several different cameras. I go upstairs and I'm walking around saying, "All right, you got me, you got me." And then I start to think about it, saying, "Wait a second." You guys can read my freaking mind. That means there is no safe harbor. The idea <laughs> that you can bullshit PS a ghost is fraud. I said, no, oh they they know. They know. I have just I have just discovered the deep deep rabbit hole that is your YouTube. I'm a little afraid that uh, to start on this journey, man. I'd be there for a long time. You have a lot Today, of stuff on here. I have a lot more stuff that I don't have on YouTube because I'm a lousy editor. So if you can imagine <laughs> what you see on YouTube, how much do you think I have here in my private collection? I've never touched or dealt with because I get so flustered with editing and trying to take this clip. All right, now do a recording of you introducing this. Now do a little text about this. And by the time you're done, it's like, oh my God, it's not aligned. Oh my God, the tracking is off. You got to adjust the audio back. It's like, oh, forget it. I hate it. 
Otherwise, I mean, I'd have over a thousand videos on that channel. Yeah, video editing's the whole thing, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> I hate it. That's yeah. my Achilles heel. Got it. Got it. But but back to your question, like I said, it happens. And I mean, because I have the cameras, I don't pay attention unless it's something that's dramatic. And I'm not talking about figurines getting knocked over, which happens on a pretty routine basis and then stops for a couple of weeks and then starts up again. It's like, what'd you guys take a vacation? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 yeah. it, it, until it's, and, and I have had occasions where it's like, okay, I got to look at that. What was that? And I review the footage and I'm like, holy hell in a handbasket. What the night in hell is going on? And it's fascinating, but it doesn't scare me anymore. It never has because, you know, ghosts cannot harm you. I know people think that ghosts are jumping into your body to possess you or demons. Ghosts have no interest in occupying your body because they're not a hermit crab. They're just they're they're out of the the body completely out of body and that's fine by them they don't need to find as Zach Baggins said in his book I am haunted about me being possessed he says ghosts are sometimes just trying to you know have the have a touch and the, the, the connection and be able to touch and feel somebody and feel the warm caress on their body they don't have bodies they cannot occupy another human being like in the movies it just don't work like that ghosts aren't like all right i'm going to you know i'm going to train robber you i'm going to hijack you and you're going to be my bitch that just <laughs> isn't the way it works i know that zach baggins is all um I'm I'm dramatically possessed. It's like Zach, you are so oh, you've been possessed so many times. It's time for you to be repossessed. <laughs> What's happening then with, <laughs> with people who say that they are possessed? What is really going on? Do you think? Uh, chemical imbalance would be one answer. Second ah. of all, they're psychologically impaired in other ways, and you know are looking seeking attention. Some people are fraudsters playing the game. I was going to say agenda. acting would be my answer. Yes, <laughs> well, and again, yeah. exactly. It's not something that's far fetched. It's it's become a huge cottage industry, and anytime something becomes bigger than life <laughs> or the afterlife. It becomes profitable and fair game for those to exploit it, to make hay out of it, as they do. Yeah. So tell me, um, or tell us, like, yes, big something big that has happened in your house that people would be surprised by. All right, I can think of one instance that takes took place. Um, a few years ago when we were doing investigations here at the house through the summer, we, um, we had some people here and we were all basically on the top floor talking. And there was a poster of my movie house at the end of the drive. That was a sign poster and with, with glass. And it's probably about two and a half feet by three feet tall in a wood frame. It, we saw it. I mean, I got, literally like notification from some spirit saying it's going to fall. And I, as I turned to my left, I saw it literally lift up an inch and then start to peel off the freaking wall and fall down straight. It like lifted up the front, the top of it extended about two inches, maybe three inches. And then it started to fall 
down and it was going in slow motion, as I recall. And I turned to my left and I remember grabbing it literally about three inches from hitting the ground, which had it hit would have shattered and hit splashed or splattered on at least three people that were right in front of it. Whether or not it would have cut them, who knows? But it was that, and my everybody there who saw it testif- testified, testified my ass. They all they were recorded after the incident took place, and said the same exact thing that they saw it peel off the wall and slow, not slowly, but as if in slow motion, come down the wall. Hmm. And, and wow. when I turned and dra- it was amazing. Wow. Um, so you allow investigations in your place. Um, and you've been on a, so I've only seen you on one show and it was many, many years ago, but your house has been on several, several shows as well. Hasn't it? Yeah, it's been on, I think now it's been on a total of eight shows. I'm um, starting with ghost hunters, then my ghost story, then paranormal witness, then haunted history, then Ghost Adventures, then Aftershocks, um, Extreme Paranormal Witness. Um, also was on um, Fright Club with Jack Osborne. Okay. Do you think that um, when it's on shows, do you think that they get it right? Uh, in a lot of cases, no. I think in one case, which was a huge disservice, they said that the house is built on native ceremonial burial ground based on a story that I told only one person um, during the, what was it? Lisa Williams came out in 2006 and she called me up and contacted me and reached out to me because she had seen me on ghost event, ghost hunters and said, look, I want to see the house for myself. I said, fine. If you want to come not with your camera crew for a show for an episode, come up here and see it. She came up. And she was the first psychic that really started telling me stuff about the Native Americans. And when we took her down to what is called the Earthen Wall Room, she described seeing a Native American on horseback interred in the mound of earth that was that part of the house was under. And that his remains were, and the horse's remains were scattered on the hillside and then covered through the mud flows and the mudslides that had taken place through the years. And I kept my trap shut about that from 2006 till 2013, when 10 years ago, Zach Baggins came here to the house to shoot ghost adventures. Um, And before that, I kept it under my hat. I didn't tell anybody and make it public knowledge. Well, I did that because I figured, let's see how good Lisa Williams is and let's see what other psychics that come in the room themselves pick up. So we had uh, several other psychics like Chris Fleming and um, James Von Prague and Jackie Barrett from America's Psychic Challenge and a bunch of others. Oh, I spoke to Marianne Winkowski about it. And she's a real life psychic who was portrayed in The Ghost Whisperer. And all of these people kept telling me that there was a Native American interred in the earth there. And in some cases, they felt so uncomfortable in there, they just flat out got out of there as fast as they could. And I got to the thinking that how, how is this possible that the famous and the, and the not famous psychics that are going in this room 
are picking up the same gosh darn storyline, but nobody is communicating with themselves about it because this is pre-Facebook and this is like MySpace, but nobody's, I'm not telling anybody and nobody's really publicizing it. And I'm like getting to the point, it's like when there's something to the story. So like an idiot, I blurted it out and told Zach Baggins to impress him, which turned out to be the most asinine thing in the world to do. And I say that with all respect to his fans, but he took what I said, what you guys heard, and embellished it and crapped it out in a story where the house is built on Native American ceremonial burial grounds, which is 1,000% false. The Native Americans, when they had discovered the burial grounds in the area, including one in 1930 when they discovered it, was in the newspaper. Because before 1978, there was no repatriate, Native American Repatriation Act, where the, if you found remains of a Native American settlement, you had to uncover them, get an archaeologist in there, you know, do this whole process by which mm -hmm. the remains were excavated and then reburied. Um, do you know to native you know, basically respecting Native American tradition? Right, that wasn't the case. And I hmm. did all my research in my book to see if there was anything. The only thing I found was about 20, 15 years ago, they had found the Native American burial site of the same tribe that was up here in, in my area for hundreds of thousands of years not 100,000, but for, ten, for about 10,000 years up here which was the Tonva tribe, and it was in the flat land right next to the 405 freeway expansion on near Sepulveda Boulevard where they found this huge burial site. They weren't burying their dead on the side of a mountain, which was totally inaccessible for them and had no need to be burying people on the side of the hill because why? You had plenty of flat land in use for burial sites, not the side of a hill. Yeah. And and he took the story and totally changed it to his narrative. So that's not surprising, first of all. Second of all, um, so this book that you're uh, you you've written, is it yeah. is, is the book out now or is it yeah. going to be out? Okay. It's out now, but it's only on it's only available presently in I guess paperback form mm -hmm. on my website, ghosts of CLO Drive. Oh, okay. Cool, so I'm, I'm looking to put it on to, and I'm going to put it up on Amazon. I've yeah. got to do a digital version. I can do that, but I'm thinking it's an audio book. But in some cases, the book is literally transcribing the audio of and video of mm -hmm. what we have recorded. In some cases, because gotcha. some cases I wrote down notes, in some cases mm -hmm. I actually have a video. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I have to try and transcribe the video. But I said, hey, if I did an audio book. If I did it carefully enough, I could actually put in the audio clips yeah, from the investigation saying, here's the narrative, here's the actual slug, slug in the, 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 uh, the dialogue right mm -hmm. there and mm -hmm. have it play through. Or just like I said, here's the dialogue, you know, I'll have to give you, it's, it's hard to do with it when you have audio and video because yeah. you've got to get the narrative of what's going on. So right. my it gets a little tricky in editing that, but I mean, I'm thinking of doing it that way. So it's, you hear the people talk. You don't hear me talking mm -hmm. reading the book. You have the actual moment that it was recorded in 2004 in, yeah. in some cases because 
that audio is right from the investigation from 2004, what was it, August and September, mm -hmm. a couple of months before the first episodes of Ghost Hunters ever aired. Okay. And is, so, is the book like, is it, if you summarize the book, is it like all different cases from what you've, you know, you've gone through? Uh, is it like just a, like a book documentary form in a book, you know what I mean? Kind of a thing or? Um, it basically tells the story. Well, here's the, the book is this, it, it tells mm -hmm. the history of the area first going back with the native Americans and then right. the development of the area, because that's important to set things mm -hmm. up with the native Americans and express that whole story. It then talks about the Paul Byrne murder, which was up the street, which was connected to the Sharon Tate murder because that's where Jay Sebring lived and where Sharon Tate had, had the visage or the saw the apparition of Paul Byrne and then the dead woman at the bottom of the stairs tied to the banister. So we talk about that briefly. Um, then we talk about my buying of the lot. Mm -hmm. I don't go into the whole story of the Sharon Tate murders because that's not my story. Right, but exactly. my own personal story going back to where you know when I went when we came up here in high school, also mm -hmm. the connection that I personally had to the Sharon Tate murders, mm -hmm. to the murderers, where Manson and the, the Mansons, the girls were basically hitchhiking from the bottom of where what was it the bottom of Sepulveda Boulevard mm -hmm. and Bellagio Road, going up to see a neighbor of ours who was Jan Berry of Janet and Dean who was recovering wow. from his car accident several years earlier. And apparently the girls were going to visit him mm -hmm. because he was connected back to Jen, to um, whatchamacallit, to Brian Wilson yeah. and the Beach Boys. Wow. And then it goes even further that my parents' house was vandalized in the same method or modus operandi of creepy crawl in 1970 when Manson was on trail, trial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it goes back to the hitchhikers because who else would have been in the house moving stuff around, letting telltale signs that they were in the house. And then we didn't find out about it until five, six years later when I read Helter Skelter and I read Creepy Crawl, what they did. And it's like they went into people's houses to move objects around mm -hmm. and do commando style raids of people's houses and refrigerators, yeah. believe it or not. Holy that's shit, that's kind of that's, that's chill, kind of chilling. That's David. creepy. Yeah, that's really yeah. creepy. That's creepy. How do you think I felt at seven years yeah. old going into the kitchen and yeah, seeing the like, sliding oh. glass door at the kitchen door open? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm out. I'm out. The, I, I mean, and I'm like, well, what the hell is that? And then, then noticing a Sara Lee pie tin oh, screw that. No, no. on the gosh darn patio table with a piece of cake out of cut out of there and on the on a plate and a bite mark out of it. Whoa. And then a single craft American cheese slings, American was a craft American yeah. cheese single uh -huh. that was in the cellophane and half the cellophane that was under the, the, the side that was not lift up uh -huh. was there. The other piece was missing. So somebody took a half the cheese and left it there. <laughs> oh my then God. my dad's, oh my God. My oh dad's my God. trousers, my mom's purse and other things were strewn around the, the hedges around the, around the backyard. I'm like, Oh my God. And I come to realizing what that somebody was in the house and you know went through the house while we were asleep and went so far as to go into my parents' bedroom and get the trousers to take them outside the house with my mom's purse as well and put them outside. So somebody did that while we were asleep. No nope, kids were doing that back in the day, remember? Holy crap. 
that the only people that did that that was a telltale sign of the Manson family. They're yeah. they're creepy crawl. Yeah, that's scarier than ghosts. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like I said in the, in the in the book, I lay it out because when my mom was picking up the hitchhikers, I'd be in the front seat. I turned around and I looked at these girls and. I swear to God, these girls had this 10,000-mile stare in their eyes that you just go, what the fuck? What is with these <laughs> chicks? It is just, but they were so glib and so ass-kissy saying, yes, Mrs. Oman, thank you, Mrs. Oman, and I, bye. When they left that, when they when she got to the house, she literally stopped in front of my parents' house and go, this is as far as I go. This is my house where I live, where we live, and so you guys can walk up the street because it's not so bad and dangerous now for you to walk up the last couple of tenths of a mile up to, to Jan's house, but you're safe. Have a good day. And she did this several times. And I remember the girls had this. This is the scariest start part of your story, honestly. You're telling, like I said, looking back oh, upon it, God. knowing what I know now. Yeah. 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 And my mom says, it's a good thing you didn't get up in the middle of the night and sleepwalk because yeah. that could have been, I said, yeah, no shit, ma. So we could have been all dead if I would have gotten up. Oh my God! Holy I mean, the odds, you know. Think about yeah. luck. It's like, yeah, I could have ended my life there. You are very. I mean, you're woven into the fiber of this whole story. Oh yeah, and my parents yeah. had an office on Melrose. I've got to find out the exact address. I think it was sixty-seven eighty-three Melrose Avenue back in the day. That was where they had their their retail outlet for their for their um. What was it their high-end brass fixtures that they sold for bath fixtures? And that wasn't too far from where Sebring's Institute was. And I remember as a kid walking up and down Melrose because I got tired as hell looking at the gosh darn brass fixtures in their offices at like five years old going, all right, this is dull. I got to get out of here. I got to walk around. This is just crazy. And I remember walking up and down Melrose in those days because there wasn't this sense of fear that we have present day there weren't like drive-by shootings in those days like that that's you know it, i used to go stand till, till it got dark up where my parents lived so you know i didn't you know we didn't call in we were just you know just be safe you know that was our generation so yeah i grew up in a yeah. free-range childhood too i get it yeah, it's me too. not a thing yeah. anymore yeah right but we weren't glued to the television. Well, we might have been glued to the TV, but we weren't glued to the computer. So when television got dull and boring, we had to get the heck out of the house. <laughs> I'd leave the house in the morning in summer and come home. Come home when the lights, when the street lights came on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that was the way it was. You know, totally yep. different. And people say, you know, do you think you know the drugs had a lot to do with Manson's control of of these people? It's like no. Far, 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 far from it. Last I checked, if the CIA couldn't use LSD to control and manipulate people to become the perfect assassin, what do you think? I mean, I'm sorry to poke holes in all these theoretical nonsense, the theoretical conspiracy theories of what Manson and this and that, but it's it is so far flung from the closest relative point of reference to the truth, it makes me laugh. And that's what people, you know, get don't get you know get dulled into believing but let me just say it to you you can smoke a ton of pot and you're not going to become a violent murderer you either have it in you to do that and somebody triggers that sociopathically speaking in you or you don't but there's yeah. no people yes everybody has the capacity to kill of course if you're self if it's self-defense fine 
But these kids, and I saw this firsthand, were products of what was called then the generation gap. And by that, I mean that the parents came from the generation of World War II that were having these kids who were 17 years old, 18, 19, 20, you know, were the baby baby boomers right out of the gate. Their parents had survived World War II and mostly fought in World War II, and they didn't have the same appreciation for freedoms as the kids did. And in some cases, you know, you listen to the backstories of the kids. Yeah, they came from, they were highly successful kids, but at home, they came from broken homes, meaning that the parents were highly, in a lot of those cases, I can only imagine that there was a lot of volatility in the home environment. And obviously there must have been because they ran away from home. Sure. And what people don't understand is they ran away from home because there was such tension in those days that the kids were doing this and this and experimenting with pot and the parents were from the alcohol generation. Yeah. It was all good to drink and whatever, but the parents couldn't get their fingers around marijuana. And remember, they were also brought up to believe that marijuana was a gateway drug, not even the gateway drug, but it was, it was abhorrent to social norms to the point where it was, it had basically a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of bad PR. And, and reefer all, madness. Reefer madness and all that stuff is embedded in these people. And so they were like terrified that their kids doing this. And the kids were experimenting, realizing, hey, that's a bunch of crap. It's not hurting me at all. It's not making me anything of what they're saying. I'm going to become crazy. And in a lot of cases, and I saw this with my friend, my best friend whose older brother used to, you know, get the tar knocked out of him senseless when his father would come home. And if you've ever seen the, the show Mad Men and yep. some of the home life moments of 5.30, father comes home, goes right into the den, gets himself, makes himself a stiff drink, downs it, maybe has another, a martini, whatever. That was 110% the way the hell it was in most mid Amer middle-class America that I saw when I was a yeah. kid. Yeah. And not everybody, but for the most part, and let's just be honest, you drink like that, you're blowing off steam. It's not a good combination. It's mm -hmm. not a relaxing. Yeah. It's, it's an, it's, it's, if anything, it's a component of destruction. Because I saw the kid's mother go in to see the father after he was at his drinks. Never before. Because she never would give him bad news before. Mm -hmm. She'd wait till he had his drinks. It was a routine. And I saw it enough times. Go, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. He yeah. would then hear the bad news that the son, that the, the older son had done. Mm -hmm. And then go into the, the room where the son, the older son was. And you'd hear this, the sound of the leather belt being pulled out of the guy's oh, ankles. And the next thing you heard were terrifying, curdle, blood curdling screams uh. from the bedroom of the kids screaming, begging for his goddamn life. As wow. the father was taking his gosh darn drunk rage mm -hmm. out on the kid with his leather belt. Yeah. Well. And then I'd see the, the, the brother later on, mm -hmm. the day later, and I saw the strap marks across his Back and back, back and rear, that it was just welts. Yeah, and that's the fact. That's the fact of what was going on in that era. It wasn't the kids and the drugs. They were right. looking for a safe harbor. And in that era, 
the communes were big. So right. yeah. people were following the communes to find, and again, this isn't just the Manson family. This is across the spectrum. I'm sure it was. Yeah, yes. it was back no. in that. That was it. That was it in those days in the sixties and seventies with the communities and the communes and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, right. that's, that was, that's true. So, so Manson comes in with his version and sees the yeah. opportunity sure. to, to play off of that and create his own commune yep. and come up with his own jive and yeah. stuff and his own BS, so to speak. And that's how these girls ended up getting involved with him because he offered them a safe family environment. Exactly. Now we would say that isn't a family, but it yeah. doesn't matter to them right. in their position it was. And they, you know, basically would do anything for him. And I've seen that in the later seventies in mm -hmm. S and life spring where right. people went there to get themselves to find what the, the answer to their life was. And boy, I got news for you. If you thought Manson's rigmarole was bad, this, these are the things, these religious groups, and you can look up EST, E-S-T. Yeah. Oh, I know about EST. Yeah. They went to the core of doing what Manson did times 10. Right. Meaning they would go into your head and get you to cathartically go through your life and, find all the dicks and crannies where you're hiding your real emotions and break you down to a pulp. Mm -hmm. And I saw people, I said, ah, 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 ah. I said as a kid saying, I ain't touching that with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. I see what they're doing right off the bat. And you idiots are too weak to say, you know, that's not for me. No, they went and said, Oh, it's the best thing. I say, yeah, kiss my ass. <laughs> you know, I, said, I don't know where they are now, but I can't imagine yeah. very, very much alive yeah. in some cases because it was so, painful to watch what they didn't it was basically programming people mm -hmm. yeah. and it's the same thing manson did so when he did what he did and asked them to do what he did they did it because they were followers look jim jones did something similar 10 years after yeah. manson nine years later and had not i wouldn't say every one of the people in jonestown guiana committed suicide but i'd say about 80 percent of them did and maybe 20 percent of them were shot and killed on the spot yeah, cults yeah. are incredibly powerful. Thought, you know, Look at what happened with this Heaven's Gate cult in the 80s. Yeah. Was it in the 80s? The 80s. But those yeah. are suicides. But you know, in essence, when you kill somebody else in this in that day and age, you go to the you're on the you're on death row if you're found. So it's the same thing. You're killing yourself by perpetrating this crime. In those days, there's a death penalty. You get found, you're gonna get put to death, which is what was supposed to happen to Manson and his family in 1970. Yeah. After the trial, so so I have I know we're wrapping up here, but I have a yeah. question, one final question, if I if I can. Um, what is most important for people to know about your home that you want to? You they have to know. Can you leave well, us on that note? Yeah, a lot of people write on YouTube and on different things. You know, you're exploiting the murders. You just live there down the street from it, and I said, look. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that if the murders didn't take place down the street, the place would still be haunted. Mm -hmm. A, I'm not a commercial operation. I don't run a business where people can go like the Queen Mary or Zach Baggins Haunted Museum and get to go in and spend time. It's 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 every now and then, and I hate to use this term, and this is kind of humorous, but it's whenever the spirit moves me, which is every now and then I haven't had for four years, but one group of people come to visit to do an investigation. And that was two, three weeks ago. And that was six people, I think, came. Mm -hmm. Six, Yeah, six people came. And we ended up doing a prime rib dinner. But 
you know, that's, <laughs> it, it, it was like, it was a spur of the moment thing. I had the, 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 the 10 pound prime rib and I said, look, I can't let this go to waste. I said, let's do a little quick investigation, put it up there for people. And six people joined and it was great, but I'm not, a, I'm not profiting off of the Sharon Tate murders. Like some claim to make it out. Like it's like, I live here. I, I actually live in this house. I don't need it's your home. To, right. Well, I, I don't need people to go walking through to disrupt my cats and my dogs <laughs> and the environment. So, I mean, if I do it, it's, it's just because it's like, all right, some people have called, they want to do it. Say, all right, fine, let's do it. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, you know, and then we do it. But, you know, I'm not this terrible piece of, you know, S H I T person that's profiting off the share. honestly, I'm more interested in setting the record straight about the murders and trying to let people know that there's a lot of mythology out there and people are making books and seminars about it and they have no idea what they're talking about. So speaking of books, where yeah. can our listeners tell them again, you, you, you referenced it earlier, but sure. where can they find your book? Where can they find more about you online? Oh. Where can <laughs> they find good stuff? Good stuff. I guess you can go to ghosts of cielodrive.com for the book. Um, that's C C I E L O drive. That's yeah, we'll put that Seattle. in our show notes too. Right. So, um, yeah. You can go to the Omen House. Well, let's see. Um, on Instagram, I'm on the, the Omen House. Um, on Twitter, it's the underscore omen dot uh, the underscore omen one. Um, on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash David Omen. And unfortunately, I'm sorry, folks. I do not, I repeat, have any merch. I don't have any Patreon thing. The, the channel is free. And, you know, it, it goes back to what I said. If I'm such a profiteer, where's the merchandise? Where's the money? Because they're you're making my like, show me the money, please. I'd love to have it. I just, you know, don't see the the, the logic in them saying that and saying, well, Really, where where's all this cash I've got? I made a movie several years ago about my story that I was trying to get out, and I'm still trying to get it released to the networks and, and somebody to see it, called House at the End of the Drive, which is a good story, interesting movie about the house and hauntings here, honestly. But well, th- I thank you. Uh, we thank you for sharing your yeah, story. Um, I, it's very, very intense and intriguing. And, we could be uh, here for hours, honestly. We could be here for hours, yeah. right? So, you want me on again? Call me up sometime. I'll be happy to come back and tell you more crazy stories of the house. Oh, Fantastic. yeah. Okay. Yeah, for and, sure. And if yeah. I get lucky with this four-part docu-series that I'm trying to find, we've got a great outline for, but we're trying to find somebody to like that knows Jack Black, possibly, oh. to reach out to Jack and say, hey, I'd like you to see the house, and maybe you'd be interested in doing this on your, with your production company. Because I like Jack, and I think his approach would be kind of what I'm looking for for a, a narrator, you know, a um, a host, to tell the story, to help tell the story. Because it's the whole thing is is it's it's factually based. It's not, oh, my God, there's a demon. No, the book is the same way. It's just, Here's the information. This is actually what happened. There's no BS. It's straightforward. And that's why I wrote the book, because I don't like reading about demons. And, you know, this is my theory about that. Ah, shut up. <laughs> I don't want to hear your theory, because if I test your theory, it crumbles under the slightest touch. And that's right. the thing. I don't like that. I just want to tell the story. Yeah. Take it or leave it. You know, it's just 
the story. Bare bones, enjoy it, find it interesting, take what you will. That's it. It's not it's not supposed to be anything more than my story and hopes it helps other people to get to figure out how to deal with their own spirits in their own house so they're not buying into the fear end of it, but the curiosity end and saying, Okay, spirit, what do you want? Right. I'm I'm being sincere and approaching it with sincerity, not underlying the undertone is I'm terrified to death, but I'm saying this because it's on the script. You yeah. have to believe what you're saying and ask them honestly. And then you bridge the gap. If anything, you have a platform to communicate to the spirits honestly with them and deal with them. And then they're like, all right, well, I can't scare you anymore. All right, fine. I'm out of here. I'm not really trying to scare you. But if it's mm-hmm. if you're uncomfortable with it, I respect you because you afford me respect. Right. And yeah. that's the component I want to tell people is show them respect as if mm-hmm. they were alive and try to negotiate and cooperate genuinely and honestly yeah. with the spirits and saying, Hey, look, I know you're here. What do you want? You yeah. can't just, it's enough. What, what can I do for you? If I can help you, I will, but I don't think I can because I'm here and you're on three dimensions above me. So well, our interaction is limited to that moment. You see them, then right. they're gone. They're gone. That's it. It's how you deal with it in your brain. Mm-hmm. That creates the fear. If you approach it from like, okay, I'm curious, you can't be afraid if you're curious. Right. And well, you can't be rational if you're afraid. True. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, I guess it's time to wrap up, as we say. Um, but uh, anybody else that's listening out there from Mindful Mystics, I want to thank uh, Dave for being on. And ladies, are you there? Are you still there? We're here. Yeah, all right. Okay, yes. well, I guess that's the wrap up for the show, huh? Yeah, all right, thanks, David. David. Thank, thank you, you so for having much. me on. It was a pleasure. I love yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Yes, you thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Call Bye, me everyone. anytime you want. Okay. okay. I, 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 hey, I'm going to follow up with you, David, about a magazine article, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Please. All I'd right. love to. Okay. Right. Good. Cool. All right, all right. everybody. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Uh, Bye. Have a good Bye. Night. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.